Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Exciting day here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. By request, Matt Baker is going to join us to talk all things college football. We got recruiting, we got NILs, even got a little bit of NASCAR and the Daytona 500 coming up for you in just a second. But first, let's catch up a little bit on the NFL. Busy day, absolutely, on Tuesday. And I guess you, you start with, if you're a Bucks fan, maybe not the good news, right? Because Todd Munkin, the Georgia offensive coordinator who was. Uh, the Bucks offensive coordinator for three years under uh, Dirk Cutter has decided to take the job with the Baltimore Ravens. So he will be coaching Lamar Jackson. And unfortunately, if you're a Bucks fan, uh, that's probably not what you wanted to hear. I think it's a good match for Munkin. He's done a lot with the spread offense at Georgia, obviously. Won two national championships. He's a really good coach. And, and I also believe that from there, if they have success, especially with that quarterback who's probably going to be franchised, trying to sign him to a long-term deal. This is a team that could be a Super Bowl contender, maybe even a Super Bowl champion, and that would certainly help Munkin's desire, uh, I think, to become a head coach. Um, as far as coordinators go, speaking of coordinators, the Bucks continued uh, interviews. They're up to 10 now. Uh, they talked with Seattle Seahawks quarterbacks coach Dave Canales, that interview wrapped up uh, sometime Tuesday afternoon, late afternoon. And next up, uh, which would be today, is a second interview with the Rams assistant head coach, Thomas Brown, who has uh, done one interview already virtually. Uh, he will be, uh, well, between the two of them, it's, it's like 10 now. We're up to 10 interviews for the Bucks offensive coordinator position. I think things will start to happen with more more rapidly uh, simply because it's a game of musical chairs you had also on Tuesday the official hiring of uh, Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. He goes to the Baltimore Colts, and the Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, is hired as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So both coordinators for the Philadelphia Eagles, who lost, of course, in the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs, are gone. Uh, there is also some talk that Eric Bieniemy who is, uh, by title at least, the offensive coordinator and has been now with the Kansas City Chiefs, may have to leave Kansas City and get out from under the shadow, and it's a big shadow, by the way, of Andy Reid, so that he can prove uh, that he is a legit, uh, effective play caller. Um, and it's still sort of a mystery why he hasn't landed a head coaching job after all the success the Chiefs have had, um, but this might be the next step for him. Free agent news, there's a little bit of that as well. Derek Carr the Raiders quarterback, he was released because uh, they were going to have to pay him an awful lot of money with the Raiders. Of course, they gave up on him last year towards the end of the season. The Raiders are in it for either a draft pick or a free agent quarterback themselves. So that means Derek Carr is available to all the other teams, uh, and he has already taken a visit to the New Orleans Saints with his wife, spent a lot of time in New Orleans. Um, that might be a good landing spot for him. Also in the NFC South, the Carolina Panthers are said to have an interest in Derek Carr. And since you're going to ask me anyway, I'll go ahead and volunteer this. 
I don't think the Bucks are going to be players for Derek Carr. That doesn't mean that they don't have an interest because they're interested in anybody that could help them, and he certainly could. Um, and yes, Mike Greenberg uh, can do some magic with the salary cap, even though they are currently $55 million over the salary cap for 2023. Um, it didn't help that Tom Brady decided to retire, and so $35 million of his dead cap money will, is part of that. Um, but could they do something? Yeah, I think Carr is going to make in, in excess of 40 40, 40 and a half million dollars a year. Uh, and so as it stands right now, it's very difficult to have some $75 million budgeted for the quarterback position in a $224.8 million salary cap. So uh, we'll see if they're players. I don't think they're going to be players for, for big ticket quarterbacks. That's my personal opinion. I think they're going to clean up the books a little bit here. Uh, they will not shop at Neiman Marcus, as I said the other day. I think it's it's going to be, you know, more in the in the uh, the target aisle, if you will, uh, but we still don't know their plans for quarterbacks. And and of course, the first thing to do is to try to hire an offensive coordinator and get his ideas. They have a lot of coaches. They have to hire a running backs coach, a wide receivers coach. There's a lot of guys that were fired or retired. So lots to do over there with the coaching staff at Todd Bowles. But first and foremost, got to get that offensive coordinator in. All right, Matt Baker coming up here in just a second. But first, I'm going to do you all a big favor and tell you how to save money on your electric bill. It's May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned business. They've been operating and installing solar electric systems for 12 years in the Tampa Bay area and across the state. May Electric is committed to you for the long term. Here's what they do. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is what they call the May difference. If you visit their Hutchins showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install. Plus, this is important. They don't use subcontractors, so you know who is going to do the job. All those guys up there, those are Billy Mays guys helping you out. That's This is the time to start saving. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar. Here's the phone number, 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, this is a real treat because it is the off-season. There is no off and off-season if you're Matt Baker, but this is by popular demand. I want you to know, Matt, we had a, uh, a tweet from Tampa Bay 98ers who said the following, I know it's the NCAA football off-season, but I would love to see you drop by Sports Day Tampa Bay to catch us all on signing day and some details on the UF quarterback commit who backed out of that insane NIL deal. They ask, Matt, and you oblige, and here you are joining us today. Thanks so much uh, for your time. And I guess we can we can kind of start with, with the NILs and, and maybe um, the Florida quarterback who backed out, but also, uh, and this is significant, you wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com, the Florida Senate has voted unanimously to repeal the state's uh, name, image, and likeness law, which... Uh, many believe uh, kind of put the state schools at a disadvantage since the NCAA doesn't regulate that is regulated by the states. So what does it mean now uh, for programs here in the state of Florida with NILs? Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Rick. We got to give the people what they want. Um, That's right. So, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's interesting, this whole, it, it's an effective repeal of the NIL law and let's, uh, Bear with me. Let's get the boring stuff out. Sure. So basically, the state NIL law 
as it you know it has not yet been the the change has not yet been signed as we record this at 4:13 on Tuesday. So the current law that's on the books has some restrictions, some kind of guardrails on what players and teams and coaches can do with NIL. And the thought process was when it was signed in the first place in 2020, the the, the state wanted some just some stuff in place where boosters wouldn't be playing paying players directly, right? That was that was the fear, that was the the boogeyman. Um, well, what happened was uh, Florida was one of the first to, to pass a law, and they were the earliest ones that was going to start. So then the NCAA has to get into action. And, you know, okay, NCAA rules and Florida law are going to clash. How, how do we fix this? And the NCAA said, yeah, here's a couple little things, but other than that, follow your states. And the net result of that is that Florida had a law that was more restrictive than many other states. And that some people say it was a problem um, where in particular, some of the specifics here, uh, there's a cause compensation clause. So basically uh, Billy Napier at Florida could not cause compensation in IL deals to go to players. Neither could Mike Norvell or the volleyball coach at USF, whatever the case may be. And there was a thought that maybe that was certainly, I think you could argue Easily, it was hurting the players, but there was an argument that that was hurting and recruiting as well. So um, the the, uh, Florida legislature had their special session, and they passed that through unanimously, through the committees, through the full House, through the full Senate, unanimously. Zero people spoke against it. Zero people voted against it. I did not know, Rick, that there was a single thing in this country, on this planet, that (laughs) Democrats and Republicans could agree upon unanimously but that's 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 what happened so you know again governor DeSantis has not signed this into law as we record this but that's going to happen soon and then the change is going to be in place where uh billy napier could help facilitate deals now he's not going to write a personal check to uh graham mertz the wisconsin transfer quarterback can't do that um, mm-hmm. uh, Graham Mertz is not going to be able to get a million dollars to s- sign with the Gators or stay with the Gators. Those things are, are still against NCAA rules, but some of the just kind of legal cobwebs are going to get out of the way. So in theory, it should be easier for the state to navigate. Um, so to kind of continue rambling and bring it back to the, the Jaden Rashada thing that, um, what you kind of touched on a minute ago, I don't think this would have fixed what happened with Jaden Rashada. And he was the the blue chip quarterback in California, signed with the Gators. There was a $13 million NIL deal that fell through. And, you know, I'm I'm still hoping to eventually hear the entire full story from all sides about what happened there. But the the, the fact is, you know, I, I asked a bunch of people, what can be done to fix this? And then as I listened to committee meetings and full Senate hearings and stuff that, you know, made your eyes glaze over, there wasn't anything that was like, oh, yeah, with this change, there's not going to be another Jaden Rashada situation. It's just that's not there. Um, so to me, what happens is this is just going to make it a little bit easier and honestly kind of eliminate an excuse, eliminate a, a reason that Florida could not be competitive. And after this, it, you know, yeah, I, I go back to what the Gators said after they opened the, the $85 million Hevner uh, football complex. There's no excuses anymore. Florida, for the longest time, didn't have the, the, the facilities, and now they do. You look at now with, with NIL. If, if they're on the same playing field as Alabama and LSU and South Carolina and whoever else in terms of the NIL restrictions, 
There's zero reason why the Gators and Knowles and Canes and USF and whoever else cannot be competitive. So that, that's to me kind of what this does. It eliminates any excuse that a, a team or a program could use as to why they're not getting the dudes. I, I would think that Florida will benefit and all the state schools will obviously, but, but we know that the alumni is, is uh, very rich, very deep, uh, very voluminous. There, there are more Florida alumni probably than Florida state and Miami for sure. And other state schools, I would think at this point, because of the age of the school, et cetera. What I'm wondering is Matt, and and this was stated in in you know by by some of the legislatures up there, uh, legislators in in Tallahassee. Will the NCAA attempt to reel this in? Will they? I mean, this has been the Wild West. Will there be an effort by the NCAA to say, "Listen, we're going to all agree as as presidents of universities how this needs to go, um, what what limitations, if any, there should be." Um, and, and level the playing field for everyone, maybe not just, you know, now in the state of Florida done by the, by the, you know, the Congress people up in Tallahassee. Any chance that uh, they even want a, a piece of this, or are they just fine with saying, hey, y'all handle it? Well, the, the NCAA has rules, right? Like, they exist right. where you're not supposed to offer a quarterback $13.85 million to enroll at your school. That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> You're not right. supposed to have a deal where you offer a quarterback or receiver, whoever it is, a million dollars to stay. You're not supposed right. to have a deal where you offer somebody $250,000 to enter their transfer portal. Like right. the, all these things are not supposed to be, so they're not supposed to happen. But mm-hmm. um, I got news for you as to what's happening, right? right? Like, um, so the problem is that the NCAA is not an, has not yet enforced the rules. Um, yes, there in Florida, there was a law against that kind of stuff, but uh, effectively, no one was going to follow the law. I shouldn't say that, but no one was going to be punished for following the law. I can't imagine a scenario where the state of Florida, sheriffs, attorney general, whoever it is, are using yeah. tax dollars to investigate. I'm going to use the example here to investigate the Gators over a, a recruit or a current player or whatever the case may be. To, to right. punish the University of Florida. But no, that's not happening. So now the issue is the NCAA has just not done anything on this. You know, there's been so many different rumors and rumblings, and in some cases, some pretty concrete reporting about stuff that happened that shouldn't be legal, but nobody's been punished. And if nobody, if you have rules, but nobody is punished for breaking the rules, well, then you don't really have rules. Um, at some point, the NCAA needs to do something about that. I don't know what it is. I mean, they've changed some stuff here in the last couple months where basically if something if there's a credible tip and it's not going to be like sliced bread says this on bro Bible and gigum.com. No, if there's a credible tip, a credible story that they hear, then they can assume that this tip is true. They can assume that you violated the rule unless you pr- are able to prove otherwise. There's also stuff they're going to be able to do in terms of making it easier for them to get text messages, emails, financial documents, that type of thing. And maybe the pendulum swung too far, but at, at, at some point in there, somebody I think is going to get punished, and I don't know who. And that will kind of maybe maybe create a, an atmosphere where at least the laws have a little or the rules have a little bit of teeth on it. So it won't be quite as transparent. Or I suppose the other option is they just say, you know what, this isn't working. We're not going to be able to do this. If Congress doesn't want to do this, then it's a complete free for all. Um, and 
again, at some point, I think we've talked about it before, at some point it's going to go to a scenario where schools are paying players, be that booster mm-hmm. clubs, be that athletic departments. There's a bunch of different scenarios where they work, and it's 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 complicated, it's messy, but the current situation, I don't think anybody says, yes, this is a great situation that is working perfectly. So at some point it's going to change. It's just a matter of when and how. Is anything going to happen to this uh, Gator Collective group uh, that was the third-party NIL company that was involved with this uh, this deal with, with uh, Rashada? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, as of now, everything is is still operating as best I can tell. Um, you know, there's plenty of, of rumblings around, but yeah, I, I think it's I think what happened was so bad, where there's a 13 million dollar deal that falls through, and at least it's fair to say there are questions about whether this broke NCAA rules. I, I, you can decide for yourself whether you think that happened, but there are legitimate questions about it. And I mean, the other thing is if, if I were a recruit and I saw, you know, I don't know all the details, I'm not privy to everything, or I'm a dad of a recruit or what have you. And I look at the headlines that happened with Jaden Rashada. Why would I trust that, that collective to pay my kid? Yeah. I, right. You just it, it, it fell through for for this kid. Why would it not fall through for mine? And, and sure. you know, I asked Billy Napier about that uh, on signing day, and he kind of said it hasn't been an issue yet. Um, but I, I would have to think at some point it would be an issue. And, and unless something changes in terms of the structure and leadership of the Gator Collective, I would think that's gonna that that, that stain is gonna linger for a while. For the Gators, you you write that they have lost now five scholarship quarterbacks in the last 10 months, um, starting with Emory Jones, who transferred to Arizona State. Anthony Richardson, we know, has is, is entered the NFL draft. Carlos Del Rio Wilson has transferred to Syracuse. Jalen Kitten, of course, was dismissed after his arrest on child pornography uh, complaints. So here they are. Uh, they've got the Wisconsin transfer. Watched a lot of Wisconsin. Didn't like the offense. Didn't think he was that bad. But Graham Mertz. You got the starter from the Las Vegas Bowl uh, in uh, in Jack Miller, and then there's the redshirt freshman in Max Brown. How is the Gators' quarterback situation given all their losses here? Unimpressive is the word yeah. that I would use. Uh, yeah. you know, Graham Mertz, when he had that debut against uh, was it Minnesota, I think it was, or I, I can't remember, mm-hmm. his, but he had that debut and it was like twenty of twenty one or whatever it was, and just oh my god, this guy's unbelievable, and then. The second game was good, and then he kind of fell to earth. Um, so the question is, w- was he as bad or as, as I guess, kind of pedestrian as he looked the last couple of years? Or can they get what the, the first couple of weeks, can they return him to something close to that form? And obviously, Billy Napier thought they, they had something in him, um, which is why they, you know, the Gators scouted about two dozen guys as transfer options not necessarily two dozen guys that were in the portal that quarterback but two dozen guys that were in the portal or maybe were thinking about it and and that sort of thing um and and graham was the one that they decided on and i mean it it was a huge decision one way or the other you know jack miller was not great in the vegas bowl i don't think it was it's fair to judge who he is as a player based on that game where there are a thousand opt-outs and you're playing a top 15 oregon state team that that's that's not fair uh, to judge him on his first start in that situation, but it wasn't great. Um, Max Brown is, is still a project. He was a you know two three star recruit coming out of a uh, Lincoln Christian in Tulsa, Oklahoma school. I know a, a bit about. Um, so I think it's just an unimpressive room, and, and losing Jaden Rashada was huge. 
And it yeah. happened so late in the cycle that there wasn't a tw- class of 23 quarterback recruit who was good enough and available and made sense. And I think the big thing to watch is what happens when the transfer portal window opens again in the spring after spring ball. Um, most, you know, I don't think it's going to be a great class that enters then, but you never know. I mean, uh, you know, Georgia's got a couple of five stars that are going to be duking it out up there. One of them's not going to get the job. Would that be a possibility? What about Ohio State? So there might be some talented guys who end up in the second wave of transfers that Florida might be able, well, I think we'll certainly take a look at. Um, and that's one way for them to add some talent to a room that, yeah, I, I just think it's unimpressive. Yeah, yeah I, this is where Billy Napier is going to earn his money for sure as he tries to uh, to get the Gators you know, uh, back on top of the SEC. Speaking of the SEC, Texas and Oklahoma are heading to that conference uh, in 2024. That's a year earlier than they originally planned, Matt. Uh, so what does this mean now uh, for the Southeastern Conference and maybe more more specifically to the Big 12? Yeah, so I mean, obviously it's it's good for the SEC. Texas and Oklahoma have not been great here the last few years, but they're still big names. You know, OU's arguably the most successful program of all time in that conversation. Texas is a huge, huge brand. Uh, you know, they're, I think it was their AD uh, said one time you know, about keeping up with the Joneses, we are the Joneses. So <laughs> you, you add those two brands, that, that that's huge. Um and it's going to be more marquee games that, that Florida and Georgia and those guys are going to be able to play. Um, the next step is going to be to figure out the new scheduling model, uh, because obviously the, the in 23 will be the last year of divisions where you've got the East and the West. And then when those guys come in in 24, there's going to be a new system of some sort. I think most people expect the SEC to expand to nine conference games. Uh, the, the thing that makes the most sense and what I hope happens is every team gets three uh, fixed opponents. So Florida plays Georgia every year. Uh, I would love to see them play Tennessee every year. And then, I don't know, South Carolina, Oklahoma is one that I've seen mentioned as a possibility. So with three fixed opponents every year, and the rest kind of rotate through um, every couple of years. I, I, I would like to see that, and I hope that's what happens. But that's something that the powers that be are going to have to figure out here in the next couple of weeks and, and, and few months. The Big 12 aspect of it is is interesting, too, just because you, you asked about that. Texas and OU, obviously the two heavyweights in that league, they're leaving. Um, the Big 12 as a whole, I think top to bottom, is going to be fascinating to watch because you look at that roster, you know, with, with Kansas State is solid. TCU obviously was really good. You bring in the UCF and Cincy and Boise and Houston, and Baylor can be in, in the mix some years. And there, there's not a lot of oh, eh, that's not a really good team. You've got a bunch of really solid teams in there, really solid programs where based on how things go in a certain year, anybody can win it. I think that's going to be very yeah. exciting. And, and then the, the final thing I'll, I'll say as I continue to ramble here, see, see, you don't have me on for weeks and now I've got like a thousand things. This is to why we about. do this, Matt. You're content, man, <laughs> and everybody's eating this up. Go, baby, go. <laughs> Um, the other thing that's going to be really fascinating about the Big 12 is now that this is done, now that they know Texas know you're leaving and everybody's agreed to terms and, and all that stuff. So what's next with them? Uh, Ross Dellinger of SI, a buddy of mine, was as he's not dumb, he's not spe- just speculating, but he's thrown out the possibility of the Big 12 looking to expand again. Um, maybe they need some more numbers just for, to uh, – 
try to counteract against what's go- going on with the Pac-12, maybe Pac-12 expanding. So I wonder about what's going to happen with the Big 12 and if they're going to look to expand again. Um, SMU has gotten looks from the Pac-12. We know that. The Pac-12 commissioner was at SMU a week ago checking things out. Um, so maybe the Big 12 says, you know what? If SMU is getting interest, they're literally just in the Metroplex from DFW from us. Maybe we need to look at them again. San Diego State out west is a, is a team that most people think is going to be going in the Power Five sooner rather than later because they built a new $300 million uh, football stadium. That sounds familiar, USF fans. It should. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe the Big 12 looks at San Diego State to expand, or, or maybe they say, you know what, let's try to go with SMU and add somebody else. Maybe Memphis, maybe uh, USF because of the investments that they're making. Maybe they're going to be more palatable. So I I don't know that anything is going to be decided immediately with the Big 12, and I don't think it will. But the conference realignment waves are still continuing with the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And that just feeds into the offseason where there is no off button. You wrote in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com that maybe uh, what Texas and Oklahoma has done here um, has created sort of an exit ramp or map. For teams like Florida State and Miami, look, look, the ACC, maybe not the, the, the deepest, strongest, most secure conference, maybe more money elsewhere. Um, could they follow suit sometime? Yeah, so the ACC schools are, are in a, a pickle, and this is something ACC people have complained about for a long time, and, and, and rightfully so. So the ACC schools are in what's called a grant of rights, where basically we, the ACC schools, grant our TV rights for all of our home games to the league. And we do that through 2036. That is an insanely long period of time in college football and college sports. Yeah. They, they did it so basically the schools wouldn't be poached, right? They, they, right. they mm-hmm. agreed to have a level of stability with this, uh, even though it was going to cost them, them money. Because if you know, their, their deal was up next year, they'd make a lot more money than what they're making from, the, from ESPN now. So the problem with that is... The schools in the conference that command, you know, that are contenders that are big brands, Florida State, Clemson, Miami's a big brand, North Carolina's had success, they're a big brand and would be, you know, attractive for other leagues. Those guys are pretty much stuck. But Oklahoma and Texas were able to break the grant of rights. They were able to get out a year early. It's not, I don't think it's the first time it's happened, but it doesn't happen very often, right? So look at like USC and UCLA going to the, from the, the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. They're leaving and in the, heading into the 2024 season because that's when the grant of rights was up. That, that was up for a new deal. We can leave without penalty. Boom, we're gone. So I wonder if Oklahoma and Texas finding a way to get out of it. I mean, again, they're, they're losing $50 million in revenue apiece. It's not that they have to write a check for it. It's just that's what the money they're leaving behind. Um, that's significant, but it's better than what it could have been, and some of it will be offset by what they make in the SEC. So my question is, and it's, I'm just, it's just a question at this point, is there something in there in those negotiations that's going to make it easier for Florida State and Clemson and Miami, again, maybe Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, to get out of the ACC's grant of rights before 2036? I, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, right? That, mm-hmm. Not saying that. Probably not next year, not the year after that. But at some point as this goes on, the amount of money it would cost in negotiations, that doesn't look so bad compared to what you lose by being stuck in what will probably be number five in the power five in terms of yeah. the financial distributions. 
So at some point, that calculus is going to change for the Knowles and those guys. And and maybe Texas and Oklahoma provide a little bit of a glimpse onto how this can happen. Well, the calculus is going to change for the University of South Florida if and when they actually uh, put a shovel in the ground and build <laughs> a football stadium. And they seem to be getting uh, closer to that every day. They made a big step, a big commitment to, I guess, Matt, you can explain it. Is this is this the uh, architect uh, phase of things? I mean, they, they don't know how they're going to pay for this stadium, but they've committed millions and millions of dollars to really designing and studying it. Yeah, so on Tuesday, they took the next step, and it was a baby step before a bigger step next month. So yeah. a committee agreed to uh, spend to allocate $22 million. That's not state money. It's public. It's, it's raised either through philanthropy, you know, donations and interest and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so the money is there for $22 million that will go to the design phase of the project. Um, it's not official yet. That's going to happen presumably on the March 7th Board of Trustees meeting. I, I hate the fact that I know Board of Trustees meetings <laughs> without looking at my calendar. It's, it's, it's not good, but this is where we are. Um, so that's going to be the next step where the board, the full board hears this, says, yes, spend the $22 million to design the stadium. It is not the end of the road by any means at all. So just to kind of quickly go through it, um, this this design phase is going to be, you know, probably a year, something like that, maybe more. Um, and it's going to be uh, popular, a big stadium design company. They're going to mm-hmm. talk to a bunch of people at USF, students, alumni, coaches, faculty, what have you. What, what do you want in this football stadium? What do you want sure. out of it? Because it's not just like a place to watch football. No, that's not what a, a, a modern stadium is. You know, from the athletic standpoint, I, there's probably going to be a football operations center in it, next to it, something like that. Sure. So that's a complicated project that's in there. Um, Colorado State, when they did their stadium, uh, they built an alumni center and classrooms into it. Uh, is that mm. something that USF wants and needs? I don't know. But that's th- those are the types of things that they're going to be asking about to try to figure out. And then as they figure out, let's use the alumni center as an example. Yes, we need an alumni center here. Okay. Well, what does that entail? And then more importantly, what is that going to cost? Because at the end of the day, after this process is done, USF is going to have a blueprint from, from Populous and Barton Mallow. Okay. This is what a stadium would look like. This is, we know where it's going to be. This is what it would have. This is what it would would look like. And this is what it's going to cost because there is no cost right now. It's still, you know, uh, Will Weatherford, the chair of the uh, board of trustees said multi hundred million dollars, Mm -hmm. multi hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. So more than $200 million, the exact figure we don't quite know yet. Less Um, than a billion. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Between, $200 $200 million and $999 million. You get the point. Um, so then the other thing that's going to be happening here over the, this design phase is USF is going to figure out, okay, how are we going to pay for this thing? But I've been asking literally for, for more than a year. How, how are you going to pay for this? And the answer is, yeah, we're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Well, at some point, the rubber meets the road, and they're going to have to figure out to have a plan. Okay, it's going to cost X. We are going to pay for that, you know, at this number of dollars from this bucket, this number from this bucket, yep. this number from that bucket. And they don't have it yet. They don't have the finance. They, they don't have, they do not have a plan. The, the quote from Will Weatherford today is we literally don't have a plan yet. 
Um, <laughs> and that's not a problem at this point. But at some point in the next year, they're going to have that. Um, the, the, at the, the committee meeting that I listened to on Tuesday, there were the first questions from the trustees that I've, that I've really heard at the meetings I've attended or, or sat through. Um, like, how, how's this going to work? And I think it's because it's becoming real, right? Where they are mm-hmm. willing to, you know, in a couple of weeks, allocate or allow them to spend $22 million to design a project. That, that's right. real. It's one thing to, to talk about it and have people working yeah. on it and all that stuff. But when you start paying, okay, we're going to put $22 million mm-hmm. into this thing. Basically, the, the price of the indoor practice facility that took years to, to fundraise for and build. We're going to put that much money into... It, designing a building that we don't know how much it's going to cost or how we're going to pay for it, or if at the end of the day, we even decide to go through with it. So now that it's becoming real, I think the trustees are asking more concrete questions about how this is going to work. And it, USF's going to have to spend the next few months coming up with some of those answers. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think when you when you commit that kind of money, you're, you're kind of uh, heading down the road that you have to complete. But uh, uh, financing will be the key and just uh, how many bells and whistles you're going to have inside that thing is key as well. Um, we'll wrap up kind of a college football portion. I got some questions about NASCAR because you'll be doing the Daytona 500 here coming up shortly. Um, but let's take a look at, uh, at recruiting um, now that we're kind of through the first full class and specifically you wrote a story about Billy Napier and the Florida Gators and Napier – uh, again, the first full recruiting, recruiting class for him. Not much better than what Dan Mullen did in the three years he was here. They sit 14th. Now, that's if you use the 247 Sports Composite, uh, apples to apples. Um, Mullen's group was was not uh, was actually ranked a, a little bit lower than that in the three years he was here. So what are we to make of this? Is this, uh, uh, is this expected? Is this is disappointment? Like, where, where are we at with, with Billy Napier? I think it was a fine first class. But I also think it was fair to expect better than fine from, from Billy Napier. Mm. Like his whole thing okay. was talent acquisition. This is a talent acquisition business. And when you look right. at why Dan Mullen failed, a big part of it was talent. It was talent mm-hmm. acquisitions. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were good pieces he brought in. I'm not saying there weren't. But by and large, he didn't have the dudes to beat Georgia and LSU consistently. And that showed up. And, and the other part of it is on the recruiting trail as he was on his way out, you couldn't point to say, okay, well, these are the dudes we're bringing in that are going to make it better. You, you couldn't do that. Um, so, I, you know, Billy was a guy from the Saban mold who understands the importance of recruiting. He, he recruited at a very high level in the G5 when he was at Louisiana Lafayette and was a good recruiter at Bama. So you kind of thought it, it would work really well. And again, it's a fine class. It's a good class, but it's not... Frankly, I expected more like what Mario Cristobal did at Miami, where, where Mario signed a couple five-star guys, uh, number seven class in, in the country, according to 247. And Napier wasn't there. And, and I don't have a good explanation why. Um, I, I think there's there's things that, I mean, obviously the on-field struggles didn't help. Um, I think that, you know, they, they were in on some guys that they, they couldn't necessarily close on and, I, I think they, they, to me, they just didn't do a good enough job in the state of Florida where Georgia just cleaned house in, in terms of, of guys in Florida, including uh, some in, in the Tampa area. Troy Bowles uh, from Jesuit High is, is being right. one of them. Um, and, and Billy wasn't able to close that gap yet. And I, I don't think, you know, this isn't a fire everybody. Billy's never going to do this. It, it, it's not that. 
Um, but I do think it was reasonable for Florida fans to expect better from his first class and to expect a lot uh, in terms of the 24 class. And, you know, the Gators have started off really well there. They've got a quarterback from one of the top, uh, or excuse me, a commitment from one of the top recruits in the country at quarterback at DJ Lagway, a Texas guy that's supposedly the real deal, but they're going to have to really, really show some progress. I think early in this season to kind of convince people, recruits and and skeptics, and and honestly, some fans that this ship is moving in the right direction. And if he can do that, then the recruits will start to buy it a little bit more and he'll have a chance for a much better 24 class. You mentioned Miami. Anybody else do very well or, or better than expected that, that uh, you thought in the state? Uh, Florida, Florida State's the one that jumps out. Um, their, recruit, yeah. their traditional recruiting class was not sensational. It, it wasn't. But they've got, you know, according to 247, they've got the number two transfer class in the country. At one point, they were number one. Either way, one of the okay. top couple of transfer classes in the country. And that's right. huge. Um Norvell, to me, has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to transfers. You, know, you look at a guy like Jermaine yes. Johnson, who was a rotation defensive lineman at Georgia, comes in and is the ACC Player of the Year, or Defensive Player of the Year at Florida State. Um, obviously, you look at Trey Benson at running back, who is just shy of 1,000 yards, uh, didn't play a ton at Oregon, was banged up, goes to FSU, boom, one of the best running backs in the ACC. Johnny Wilson at Arizona State had issues with drops. People thought maybe he's a tight end. Goes in, has a, a very nice year at Florida State. Uh, Jared Verse, defensive end from from Albany, who goes in and had some first-round buzz, but decided to stay for another year with the Knowles. So to me, Norvell has shown, look, he's proven that he can identify transfers who can play at the, F, at the, the ACC level. He's proven he can develop them, a guy from, you know, and from freaking Albany, who becomes one of the best pass rushers in the ACC, does that in a year. Okay, that gets your attention. And he's also been able to do it without upsetting this culture, this kind of the, the team dynamic at FSU. It's not like these guys are all mercenaries coming in. No. You look at just the way the season played out. Uh, you look at all the guys that came back this year and didn't have to. I think he's building a really, really strong program there. And the transfers are a big reason why. So when you look at the rankings, see a number two transfer class in the country, add in all the guys who stayed, FSU is going to be really good. Like, uh, I don't know that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be captain of the, the FSU bandwagon this season. Uh, but there's going to be a whole lot of hop around the Knowles this off season. I think it's warranted. Yeah, no, when you win the way they won, um, they're back on the map. You see the crowds, you see the excitement up there in Tallahassee. It should continue. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Okay, we'll get you out on this because uh, there is no off in the off-season. You'll be covering the Daytona 500. Boogity, boogity, boogity. They're going to start running uh, racing again up there in Daytona. And so uh, before we, we talk about what's new with the race itself, uh, one guy whose logo, Eric Amarola, kind of pulled a Tom Brady. I mean, look, he's a Tampa Bay guy. He roots for all the teams. So, you know, why not follow the GOAT? Uh, first retired, now has unretired. Um, what was going on with Amarola and his decision to come back to racing? Yeah, it surprised me a little bit uh, just because I remember talking to him last year, and I, I think he was kind of ready to hang it up. But 
he, he had, you know, look, the, the sponsorships and the team and everything kind of aligned where he mm-hmm. figured I could do this one more year. And, and so he decided to. And, and I think he's in a good position at, at Stuart Haas Racing. They're, they're one of the better teams out there in terms of the resources and the manpower. And yep. look, the, the way he's been at Daytona, he, he won the, a, a range-shortened um, race there in uh, the July, I think it was in 2014. Um He's had cars that were good enough and put himself in position to win the Daytona 500 a couple times. I would not be shocked at all if you know the Hillsborough High alum is in that mix in that front pack with a chance to win, or maybe he's able to get it mm. done on Sunday. I think he's absolutely going to be in that mix. And anything new with Daytona in particular this year that you'll be looking for? Um, n- nothing in in particular with, with Daytona. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see. Uh, how it all shakes out. You know, you look at a guy like Kevin Harvick, who's kind of in his last run, you look at a guy like, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, who's going to be back trying to, to be in this field for another time and kind of a, a shortened series. Um, guy like Connor Daly, who's an IndyCar driver, who's going to try and, uh, make the field for, for the Daytona 500. So I, I'm just kind of curious mm-hmm. to see how all these personalities come together and how many wreck and how many are still standing with a chance to win. <laughs> as the uh, the white flag uh, goes there on, on Sunday uh, in, the, in the evening. That's always the case. Should be a great race. Matt Baker will bring it to you. Uh, and because of the Tampa Bay 98ers spoke it into existence, Matt, <laughs> existence, Matt Baker joined us uh, in his very busy off-season, and we appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much for hopping aboard. We'll wait until they command you to come back again. Thanks, man. <laughs> sure. Thanks, guys. Man, it's always great to have Matty. He has so much information about so many things, so I appreciate uh, him hopping on with us as always. Hey, uh, tomorrow we're going to have our mailbag segment. You still have time to uh, submit some questions. You can do that by sending them to us on Twitter, at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. The Lightning continue their westward road trip. They are at Arizona tonight, and pitchers and catchers will have their first workout today. They reported on Tuesday. So it's it's Major League Baseball with some rule changes and things like that that we'll be talking about throughout the, the next uh, couple weeks, I think, certainly in spring training. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Matt Baker again. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.